Good Wednesday evening to you. I'm James Briarton in Charlotte. Welcome to a brand new episode of the Carolina Weather Group for this Wednesday, September 9th, 2020. We will get to our interview featuring the meteorologist of WLOS, the ABC affiliate in Asheville, North Carolina, in just a moment to continue our lighthearted at home series. But first, let's bring in Shay Gibson in Charleston, South Carolina, who uh, is going to give us an update on the tropics and Shay, that outlook from the National Hurricane Center. That's, I mean, if that just speaks peak hurricane season. So September 10th, historically, not the exact date, but around or about September the 10th is the historical peak season of, of the hurricane season in the Atlantic Basin. So, um, and it's living up to its name this year because look at all the activity we have on the map. We have six areas to discuss. We have um, one near the Carolina coast that doesn't look very impressive. So nothing of major concern for the coastal United States right now, but a couple of areas being watched nearby and then waves off of Africa as we continue to watch all of those. So we'll go ahead and um, we'll just look at disturbance. Number one near the Carolina coast has a 20% chance to develop. Um, it, it really looks like it, if it were to make a last minute run over the next couple of days, maybe towards a tropical depression towards the coast, but it, it will be heading towards an area of bare clinic environment. What that means is that fronts, cold fronts are gonna be dropping across the US. We start to see more traffic this time of the year across the Eastern half of the United States with cold fronts as fall starts to move in. So that's a, that's a great help to sort of steer some of these systems away from the coastline as they approach. But timing is everything, and we've seen weird things happen in September, and it is 2020. The other disturbance uh, we're looking at is uh, just, just east of the Bahamas. It's expected to go through the Bahamas, through southern Florida, and eventually over into the Gulf of Mexico, where this could be a conducive environment with low upper shear, warm waters. And so we'll be watching this. Only 20% next five days, but we'll wait and watch and see what happens if this wave holds together. Uh, the other one coming off of Africa, 20% chance. This one's going to probably be ingested by a lot of Saharan dust or be ingesting a lot of Saharan dust to um, uh, maybe rip that storm apart. But this one down here, now when we see Cape Verde season, we see where the latitude of these waves coming off of the coast of Africa are a little bit higher up. This one's a little bit lower down, and this is one we got to watch. we got to watch these waves that are at the lower latitudes because they tend to escape the northern pole. If we see Paulette and Renee are going to be remaining out to sea, in fact, if we look at Paulette now, I see the track takes it north to northwest and then eventually over towards Bermuda by Monday. This may this track may come across Bermuda towards the US and then steer away. I do think that the um, I do think that the, the track will take it eventually away and out to sea. So if I can get my uh, draw tool to work, I'm not sure if I can or not. Yep. So eventually this will hook out to sea as the cold fronts uh, zip across the U.S. and out over the ocean. So that's pretty much what we're expecting with Paulette. Now, if we go back to uh, Renee, this one is expected to be a fish storm as, as well, uh, maybe even uh, restrengthening back into a hurricane Saturday morning uh, before heading off to the north, eventually north, and then eventually off uh, way, well to the north to the graveyard, uh, the hurricane graveyard. So if we take a quick look at the uh, tropical cyclone heat potential, and what we're looking for here is the, the darker colors or the... Um, the orangey colors, right? Some of the lighter up into the darker orange and reds. And we usually look at about 90 kilojoules for this. And these are the areas that are identified where the water is the warmest, not only the warmest, but the depth of the water is the warmest as well for fueling. So it has deep water, warm fueling for the systems at, at, a, at a lower level. That way it's not like it's just going over and stirring the top. You get cool water up well and you actually have depth of warm water to feed the storm. So these are the areas identified right now that have this potential. And so here's the Saharan air layer, and I'll go ahead and run this forward for the next, oh, I think it's about 10, 14 days. And we can see that the Saharan air layer, this is dust coming off the Sahara desert. 
from being suspended at the mid-levels. And we always look for these plumes to come out, these, this heavy activity that comes off the coast of Africa that suppresses storms. And what we're seeing here is a relaxing of the south or the Saharan air layer to where we're going to start to see a lot more waves actually get a better chance of forming off the coast of Africa because we don't see these, this large-scale plume. This is the only mild to modest right here, not even that moderate. So we're going to see a lot more activity. We'll take a quick look at uh, Paulette you know, on satellite. It looks like there's a lot of upper shear going on with the storm from southwest to, uh, to the northeast. And you can see the cloud tops being blown off to the north and northeast of the system. Projection of the storm eventually uh, for the GFS ensembles brings us up and away from the coast out to the hurricane graveyard. Let's take a look at um, look at Renee and the IR loop for Renee. And this one actually looks a little bit healthier. The convection is wrapped around the core. We do see a nice tight circulation. This actually has potential to grow back into a hurricane, but eventually the track of the system will take it well out to sea. I think the GFS ensembles are a little bit confused on this track. We're not really sure. We think that frontal activity out by days uh, five and six will probably start to pull this storm out to sea. So we'll be watching this one very closely. Uh, take a look at 94L next to the, or just off the Carolina coast. And here's what this one looks like. Now you can barely see this, this blob of convection and which is right about here. This is the area we're watching. So not very organized. We do see a, an explosion of convection here at nighttime hours. This is expected to generally move off to the northwest towards the Carolina coast, somewhere between Cape Lookout and possibly Charleston. This area right here has been identified in the spaghetti models. The spaghetti model is a little bit tighter, but then again, we don't really have a really tight closed area of circulation that we can call uh, low pressure. It, it really is just disorganized. We're waiting to watch to see what happens. But either way, if we look at the book, can we move that out of the way? I can get the draw tool to move. There we go. And uh, we look at JFS ensembles here. It looks like it generally moves towards the coast in time. It's a, it's a tough call here on exactly where it's going to land because we don't have a low. We don't really like to show spaghetti without a meatball per se, but either way, we're just watching. We do like to look at the upper shear. This looks kind of crazy, like a crazy map, but just know the areas in red or where upper shear are occurring. So out here off of Africa, we do see a higher upper shear environment right now. So that should be protecting us, but we have to watch that low, that low track uh, the one that's coming off of Africa now, this one has a 90% chance. And so this is gonna be the one to watch right here, James. I think uh, the GFS models really get bullish with this one and bring it further over towards, um, towards the Bahamas and the Caribbean at, uh, by the September the 18th. So the GFS is this way that the Euro is a little bit higher up and actually takes this one a little bit more to the Northwest. So right now, you know, I'm just kind of recap it, James. We're just watching a lot of areas in the Atlantic right now. I really think that, uh, Everything merits watching. We're in the peak of the hurricane season and uh, the waters are still very warm. And so that's where we are right now in the tropics. Back to you. Shay, I appreciate that. And uh, you've got me hungry ever since you said spaghetti and meatballs. <laughs> yeah, add some Parmesan, right? We don't want anything on the coast, though. No, but uh, thank you very much for that update. We'll keep a close eye on it. Like Shay said, we're in the peak of the hurricane season right here in mid-September. And uh, uh, you have to stay prepared and stay weather aware. And... Uh, I don't know about you all at home, or I don't know about you, Shay, but uh, because of the pandemic that we're in, my storm supply closet has been bulked up for several months now. So hopefully folks are in a good spot uh, if they find themselves having to seek shelter at home now because of, of weather at any point before this hurricane season wraps. Yep, you're absolutely right. Have your hurricane kits checked, double-checked. Um, now is a great time to go to the store. There's no lines. You don't want to have to wait in lines when something you wait to the last minute and you have a storm at your door. 
Um, I don't think 94L is going to be that much of a concern for the Carolinas. So if, if folks are asking about it, hey, what's going on with this tropical system? I wouldn't worry about it. Just a rainmaker with a little bump and swell may um, cause some some uh, dangerous rip currents along the coast. We'll be looking for that in the forecast by this weekend. But have your hurricane evacuation plan ready. Have your COVID plan ready for safety purposes. Uh, however you want to get your plan ready, just make sure you have it ready to execute. Write your list down now when you're clear-minded and not when you're in panic mode if something big is happening. That's what I always tell people for best advice. Shay, that is some good advice. We will get to our interview with uh, WLOS in just a moment. But uh, first, uh, these few highlights uh, from from social. Uh, we had some rain move through today. I'll see if I can get this video to play for those of you watching our video broadcast. But uh, I went out for some coffee. I needed some coffee, Shay. It's been really cloudy here in Charlotte today, and I got caught right in one of those scattered uh, torrential uh, downpours and wanted to share that uh, with you all. Uh, Shay, did you see the pictures out of the West Coast today? The very oh, eerie man. sights. Yeah, they, they've got some bad situation going on in portions of California and Oregon as well. Oregon had some major winds from a winter storm that dropped down. Colorado went within 12 hours from summertime to winter and they i think about 18 inches of snow or something fell but there is a massive northerly gradient cutting down the eastern coast in the in the um, great basin area which is you can see the winds going from north to south you can see the upper low over um, utah and, and that gradient between high pressure the, the pacific high and that low is creating a, a really really strong northerly wind that's driving these fires very quickly from north to south and oregon's feeling that as well up north um it's it's just uh it's really really bad over there and uh i hope the best for everyone and i've heard power has been knocked out i can't imagine what the, the power grids are going to do if they start shutting down power but it, it does not look good james yeah absolutely i saw these pictures today and i thought in a one sense that's a beautiful piece of photography but on another sense this is an environmental concern for everyone all along the west coast whether you're living close to those fires and are in the immediate danger of those fires, or as uh, Shay was alluding to and the satellite images are showing us, this has really now stretched up and down the west coast uh, as the, the plumes of smoke, the ash, the embers, all of those pollutants are now in the air, and that certainly becomes a breathing hazard. So our thoughts and prayers with everyone on the west coast who are dealing with those uh, ongoing fires. Uh, that does it for this update from uh, the Weather Center here. I appreciate uh, Shay uh, ch chiming in for the tropical update. And uh, let's throw it over now where uh, the rest of our show will have Scotty Powell and Evan Fisher picking up our conversation. Brand new episode premiering right now. Brand new interview with the meteorologist of WLOS, the ABC affiliate in Asheville, North Carolina. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Carolina Weather Group. We're happy to have you, and we're going to continue our uh, fun interview segment that we do with local meteorologists throughout the Carolinas. And today we have on Jason Boyer and Ryan Coulter from WLOS in Asheville, North Carolina. Uh, they are the ABC affiliates. So um, if you live in Western North Carolina, I'm sure uh, you've tuned to Channel 13, and uh, we're happy to have Jason and Ryan with us today. One of the main questions uh, that we always ask everybody is uh, how did you know you wanted to be a meteorologist? Everybody has that story. So Jason, I'll let you start. What's your story? Well, my story goes back to, you know, like most, to when I was very young. Um, always was inquisitive about 
the earth sciences and always wanted to understand how things worked around me. And I spent a lot of time outdoors as a child uh, back in the 80s when I was growing up. And that was kind of the uh, the way to go growing up in the 80s. Most people uh, just let their kids kind of run around in their backyards. I grew up in a small town, so that was where I grew up and uh, explored. But I think it was around third grade. And this is the most stunning and uh, life-changing moment that I remember. Um, I was walking home from school. It was November and I lived in Illinois then. So there we weren't in Tornado Alley per se, but I remember coming home from school and I could walk home. That's how close I lived. And it was an unusually warm day. In fact, it was record warm that day. I think it got into the eighties and the sun was out, the wind was blowing. And I was just thinking like a kid, like a third grader, I can't wait to get outside and play ball, ride my bike. I got home, the sky went pitch black in about a matter of 30 minutes. Um, the wind started picking up. My older sisters, thankfully, uh, wiser and uh, certainly more proactive, they knew something bad was gonna happen. And we all rushed downstairs. And in a matter of moments, the sirens, the tornado sirens in the neighborhood went off. And we had a week event, a week tornado go through my backyard and hit my neighbor's house. And it happened in a matter of a couple of minutes and that was it. And it was a life-changing moment when I walked outside, the birds were no longer chirping and you could um, see the destruction of my neighbor's house and in the backyard across the street, his entire roof was peeled off. You could see into the house and the insulation was gutted out and, um, that was amazing. Uh, I mean, frightening, but also to me, an amazing display of what Mother Nature could do. And I think from there, I was really hooked. I knew I always liked science. And then from there on, I kind of just built on that and uh, had a great teacher in fifth grade, Mr. Morris, that set me on the right path too, and inspired me to continue to study science. So that's that's how it started for me. And I just pursued it. And what about you, Ryan? Yeah, I mean, uh, thank you guys for having me, first of all. Um, yeah, I mean, my story is really not unique from uh, anyone else who does this either. Uh, I mean, uh, grew up, uh, my grandparents lived with us growing up and, you know, they were avid news watchers as a lot of older people are. And uh, so anytime the weather came on, I was always, uh, you know, super interested in watching that. They always let me watch that with them. Uh, I grew up in Colorado. So as growing up, you know, we had a little bit of everything, uh, wintertime snow, severe weather in the springtime and the summertime heat wildfires. So kind of a mixed bag of everything you get it all there. And so I grew up around that and, uh, and I was in about uh, fifth grade, uh, we had a science fair project and I actually wanted to make a homemade barometer. And so I figured out how to do that. And I actually wrote into uh, one of the chiefs in Denver, she's still there. And uh, she actually uh, responded to my email. So, uh, you know, as a fifth grader, that was pretty exciting. But I knew, uh, you know, kind of like a lot of other people who do this, uh, you know, I knew that from the time that I was a little kid that, uh, you know, this is what I want to do. Uh, it's a fun job and uh, you get to uh, study science, the weather, all of the above. And uh, it's, a, it's a great, uh, it's ended up being exactly what I wanted it to. Those are great and very classic weather stories, I feel like. Um, super interesting. So keep it on the kind of the same track of weather before we deviate off to some more uh, unique conversations. Uh, did you guys ever have a like uh, a meteorologist that you looked up to as a kid or as you were coming up through school? 
Uh, Ryan, I guess we can start with you. Yeah, you know, interestingly enough, um, there was a there was a meteorologist in Denver, and uh, he was he was really cool. Uh, he was on he ended up being on both the stations. I I grew up watching him on TV, and when I got to school, he ended up actually being my advisor at school when I uh, got into uni the university. So yeah, I learned so much from him, and it was really cool. Um, you know, of course, he always I always told him, you know, I grew up watching you, and that doesn't go over very well uh, when you say that <laughs> when you say that to him, but. Uh, no, it's true. He uh, he truly helped me along the way a lot. And, uh, uh, you know, then I got to learn from him. So even better. Um, I did have a role model as well. And growing up, I would watch Channel 4, the CBS affiliate uh, in my market, St. Louis. And yeah, I grew up watching a particular meteorologist there and he was the chief and um, kind of wanted to uh, mirror him and uh, grow up to be like him as well. So it was it was a unique situation. But I got to meet him actually in person. Um, we had a old time power show in my rural town and he flew in in a helicopter. And I, I mean, there's the biggest thing that ever happened in my small town seemingly at that point in my life and uh, got to get an autograph, talk to him briefly. And so that was a, that was a moving situation for me too. So Jason, I'll, I'll pose this question to you first and then Ryan, I'll let you to finish up. So Jason, you've been in Western North Carolina a while. Uh, we have uh all types of weather. So this question is, would you rather forecast for severe weather or the dreaded winter weather that we face here? Yeah, you know, they they have their unique qualities, obviously, and they're, they're very different when you're trying to forecast those two situations. And um, the, the most challenging, I think, would be uh, winter weather um, because it usually is much more uh, of a large scale system. Uh, so it affects many more people than just say localized severe thunderstorms. Um, so you're dealing with everybody's topography too. And it's very topographically driven uh, by elevation and location uh, in relation to the mountains. So that is the challenging forecast. I look forward to that. Uh, it's the most stressful one, but it's it's part of the job. You know, you, you come into this situation here in Western North Carolina and you quickly realize how big of a deal winter weather is. Um, you know, most would categorize our severe weather as flash flooding, a big risk. I think flash flooding is certainly one of the bigger risks here living in the mountains. Um, but when it comes to winter weather, that is usually the memorable severe weather for most when they think back to when they were younger or maybe even um, the, the older folks, they'll say, look, I remember the big snow of certain years, certain month, and it sticks in their mind. So that would be the bigger challenge and also the more exciting, I guess, forecasting that. Ryan, I think you, uh, your career was uh, in Texas for a while. So you had to uh, deal with forecasting of winter weather and severe weather there. So tell us, uh, which one do you prefer? Yeah, you know, I, I mean, guess I guess it's kind of a similar answer. I mean, uh, there's definitely a lot more challenges uh, with winter weather than there is severe weather. Uh, where I was at in Texas, we would get severe weather. We would be, uh, you know, wall-to-wall -wall coverage for, you know, sometimes six hours at a time or, or even longer than that. I don't even remember what our longest stretch was on air. I would say, though, um, there is more challenges in winter weather. And I would say there's more that can go wrong when we're forecasting for winter weather as well. So, you know, to, we can say, we're, you know, we think, we might get two to four inches for Asheville, for example. Uh, you know, the temperature comes in a degree or two warmer. We're not getting that. And people get a lot more upset when you miss winter weather forecasts versus uh, severe weather forecasts. So I would say, you know, I would rather, uh, I guess from that standpoint, I would rather 
be forecasting for severe weather. Uh, it's usually, I want to say easier, but usually you can have a better idea of exactly uh, the elements that could be coming at you. There's, um, you know, people are, again, they're, they're more mad when you, when you tell them two to four <laughs> inches of snow and we only get an inch of snow, or you get on the other end, you get three to six inches of snow and then they don't like that either. So, um, yeah, definitely severe weather would, uh, I guess, be my preferred. <laughs> well, Jason, you mentioned topography a minute ago. Um, and with this conversation of severe and snow, I feel like this kind of rolls into a question that we had on social media about um, lower precipitation totals and kind of the French Broad Valley. I know you have a map and some resources to talk about. Um, so I'll, I'll kind of let you take over from there. Yeah. I think when people talk about Western North Carolina weather, the first thing that comes to mind is snow, but then rain is actually a, a very diverse uh, topographical feature here as well. Um, so I brought this 3D relief map just to give you an idea. It's kind of um, one of the, my more favorite maps to look at. I could study this. I, I've looked at this a hundred times already and I could still just look at it almost every given day. Um, so here's the French Broad River Valley right here. This is I-26 running through and it's a valley so it's the broad river valley so it's pretty wide considering uh, the other features here um the french broad starts down in transylvania county near rosman and goes north through Asheville and all the way up into the holston river into eastern tennessee but what you have around the valley are higher elevations so Asheville sits kind of the middle here hendersonville down here brevard right there and the prevailing winds during the spring and summer months are south and southeasterly winds. That will draw moisture from the Atlantic and the Gulf, bring it into the mountains. And because of the features we have from lower elevations in the upstate and Piedmont to highest elevations here, the air has to rise. And so the air will rise and cool and condense into clouds and form a significant uh, rain event down here into the Southern mountains. Whereas Asheville is in that rain shadow and the rain will fall mostly to the west and south or to the north and east because we have the Black Mountains and the Craggies up here. So that prevailing wind will certainly help rain form more over this area of the county, Buncombe County, eastern side, and in the Yancey. So there's a rain shadow here. There are other rain shadows like in Waynesville. They're surrounded by with the Balsam Mountains to the south and west. They don't see nearly as much rain in the valley as they do just west and south of Waynesville as well. So that's kind of how it works in the summer months. In the winter months, the prevailing wind is much, much different. It's from the Northwest. So the wind is blowing into the Smoky Mountains and the higher elevations along the Tennessee border. And that's where most of the precipitation is gonna fall near and along the border. Whereas there's another shadow effect down here in the valley. So this is why Asheville usually averages a foot of snow a year. And places up in Madison and Yancey County can get up to 50 inches of snow, like Mount Mitchell averages in a particular year. So a uh, big difference with the prevailing winds during the different seasons. But that's pretty much how the shadow uh, affects us here in the French Broad River Valley. In fact, south of Virginia, east of the Mississippi River, I believe Marshall is the driest point in that uh, eastern U.S. So pretty neat. Cool. Um, do you guys have any, uh, what, what was your most embarrassing moment while on TV? I'll take this one. It happened pretty early in my career. Um, I was working in Tennessee. I started out in the Tri-Cities, Johnson City at WJHL. And I, I filled in for the morning guy who went on vacation. And I was working one morning and the, the 
the newsroom was downstairs, the studio was upstairs. So there was always this climbing the flights of stairs. And um, one morning I was filling in and I remember being down in the newsroom and I looked up and I saw the, the national weather cut in. And I knew that there was going to be a local cut in shortly after. And I, I remember it was Tony Perkins. He was the meteorologist at the time. I believe he's in uh, D.C. right now. But he was on uh, CBS this morning at the time. And then I had to run upstairs and the quick conversation I was having with my news director. I ran upstairs two flights, ran into the studio, ran over to the computer to make sure it was set up, ran over to the, uh, the chroma key, the, the green wall. And I had about 10 seconds to situate myself. I was out of breath. Um, I was trying to calm myself down. And I remember I just started talking and, and, and almost instantly I was exhausted. <laughs> so I started talking about the seven day forecast and I got about five words out and you could just tell that I was losing steam and it, I started getting real hot. I felt like I, my temperature went up and I was getting flushed and I was kind of panicking in my head. Like, how am I going to get through this? You know, you're talking to yourself in your head while you're doing the the delivery of the forecast. And I, I tried to push through it and I should have just kind of ended early and said, you know, all right, just take a look. Here you go. Enjoy. But I thought I was still, you know, I'm going to make it through. And it was brutal. Uh, I could see the studio guy on the headset kind of laughing, you know, chuckling behind the camera. And I just thought this is, this is, I'm bombing here. And I went off and we had a good laugh after that, but that was really embarrassing, especially when you're trying to make a good impression. I was maybe six or seven months into starting a job. So that was mine. Yeah, I got to think back here on this. Um, so far, luckily, since I've been here, I don't think I've had anything crazy happen here. I will <laughs> say, though, in my last job, my first job, uh, first day on the air, uh, you know, we have a system. It's called uh, Max. I don't know if you guys are probably familiar with the WSI. And uh, the way we have it formatted, you know, you have your first weather hits, you have your main weather hits, you have your final weather hits. And I, uh, unknowingly, I had the uh, wrong weather hit loaded for uh, my first full weather ever on, uh, ever on. And uh, I didn't know what to do in the moment. I had, uh, I had my final weather loaded for my, for my main weather. And kind of like, uh, you know, kind of like what in TV, you always have a time limit that you're set for, and you have to fill that time. And so here I am, I have uh, my current temperature graphic and I think I had a camera graphic and then it went right to the seven day. And so I'm standing there for uh, 2.30 is what we were allotted for. This was the weekend evening show. And uh, I looked back towards the anchor who's also the producer at, at that station. And she's like, she's just cueing me to keep going. So I think I, I, think I talked for a solid uh, 2.15, two minutes, 15 seconds on the uh, seven day forecast. And uh, I may have even gone back. I don't remember, you know, I may have even gone back and talked more about uh, to current temps. I don't know. That was, it was bad though. Luckily I haven't made that uh, mistake since, or if I have, I just will run over and correct it pretty easily yeah. now. <laughs> you learn quickly how to, how to get around things. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. That, that is, that's funny. Um, both of you guys have experienced this and uh, tell us what it's like, and then we'll maybe go into some more non-weather questions. Um a lot of folks may tune in when the weather's at its worst and you guys are doing wall to wall coverage. Um, tell us a little bit about that. I mean, that that's pretty intense for you guys, Jason, you're talking about, you know, you were out of breath, you know, with that little run, but you know, being on the wall for two, three, four hours straight, that's gotta be mentally, you know, exhausting as well as physically exhausting. Talk to us about that. 
It certainly is. Um, most recently, I think this year we had so many of those early season tornadoes, uh, especially for the upstate. And we had wall to wall coverage almost every time, obviously, when those um, were occurring, because our protocol is to stay on when the warning comes out until it ends. And what do you do when you have a tornado warning that goes for 30 minutes and then another one comes out in between and another one comes out in that? So we were going on and on and on. Um, and a couple of times during this uh, early spring season, I, I was there waiting for, you know, backup to come in and help out as well. Like Ingrid would come in or Ryan and you have to just you have to go. And if you're solo, um, you are just essentially repeating a lot, but you're trying to get new information at the same time you're giving the current information. So that's a challenge. You're literally on a computer talking, looking at data that's now happening and trying to analyze that data on the fly, as we say, and also looking at other pages of weather information on the internet, trying to get information from the National Weather Service sites and um, observers. And then you're on social media pages looking for information from people that are sending you um, pictures or updated information from what they're experiencing. So yeah, it is, it's a lot of information. And you know, nowadays, you were able to get social media information. And years ago, when I started out, there was none of that. You had to wait for somebody to call or email you um, a weather observation. And that would have made it even more challenging, I think, looking back, because what, what other information are you going to get? The more information you get, the better it is to kind of have things to talk about. And that is, um, it's unique. And it, it doesn't happen that often here in this market. We don't get widespread severe outbreaks like they do in the West or the central US. Um, and a snow event, a winter weather event, you see for days coming um, typically, and you can just you know lead up to it and get into it and talk about it. You don't really have to be breaking news um, and breaking into programming for a, a weather event like say snow. Um, but the severe weather events are certainly challenging. And, and you just, uh, you learn from each one, you know, even somebody like me in the business for 22 years, you still learn from these experiences. Ryan, you, you dealt with that in Texas. I mean, that's, um, you know, these are what we face or could be more rain wrapped tornadoes, but you guys out there see these massive tornado or you saw, uh, could see these massive tornadoes. So is there a little, any different perspective of that where you guys have storm chasers out in the field and you can kind of relate to those folks out in the field yeah yeah so when i was in when i was in texas you know that that's a station that uh really drove the market for severe weather coverage and so it was more built for that kind of thing so yeah we had storm chasers out in the field but you still need to have you know two people at the station uh during these kinds of events because you, know, you have one person off camera they can uh, help to look at and analyze that data uh look at radar see what's going on uh we also had it in that uh, in that market we all we had a crazy amount of cameras. I think there was like 50 or something like that. And we could move those around during severe weather events. That's what we used them for. And so, you know, you have the other person off camera that, that can see that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you're going for hours at a time. And I think, you know, Jason already mentioned it, but the biggest challenge is trying not to be repetitive. In some cases, you have to be repetitive uh, when there's, you know, potentially life-threatening storms out there. I mean, we're talking about tornadoes that could be affecting communities. That could be, there could be communities in the path and I think one of the hardest things uh, with these with these kinds of storms is people don't like it when we cut in and they don't like it when we interrupt their show. And especially being an ABC affiliate, that's what I was at in Texas too. 
you know, we have a lot of basketball. We have, uh, you know, big shows. I mean, the, the Bachelor. I mean, heaven forbid we ever have to interrupt any of those kinds of shows. But, you know, we don't want to interrupt them. But at the same time, we have a job to do. And, um, you know, we have to. It's important that uh, we get that information out because, you know, you never know when uh, that information it could be helping someone who is in the path of that storm. And so I think, yeah, I think once you when you're in the midst of all of that coverage, uh, you don't realize all the time that's actually going by, especially when you get into that rhythm. I think that, um, you know, especially in some of those more long duration events, you get off the air and you're like, oh, you know, we were just on for you know two hours or whatever the case may be. So, uh, yeah, definitely, definitely one of those things, though, that uh, it's uh, it can be stressful for sure. Well, we promised that we would stop talking about the weather at some point, so we can go ahead and do that now. You guys can take a little breath and uh, a break from your everyday work. So do you guys have a, a favorite genre, a favorite type of music that you like to listen to in your everyday life? Uh, Ryan, I'll go to you first. I'm, I'm not too picky. I'll listen to anything. Uh, I did. I will say I grew up uh, listening to country, so I mean, that's still my go-to. Uh, 2000s country, uh, Garth, uh, anything, anything like that, I'll go for I'm with you on that. How about you, Jason? Um, I went through that country phase <laughs> many years ago, and I got to get out of that. But I listened to a lot of different genres as well. Um, you know, I grew up in the in my high school days were in the '90s, so alternative music was big then. So people probably remember Stone Temple Pilots and all that Pearl Jam. But I don't really listen to that music as much anymore. Um, I've gotten older and a little more subdued with my uh, music choices. But um, I'll listen to a lot of a lot of modern music pop or rock and um i just don't spend as much time listening to the radio or actually picking out songs anymore um so more of more of my time is spent just maybe even popping in some classical music just to chill out and and get my mind cleared of certain things during the day so that's that's what i do i play music too so i i have a guitar and i love playing music so that's my escape anytime I want to. I can just pick up the guitar and play some songs or whatever. That That's something we, we've found with a lot of these that we're doing. A lot of meteorologists play music on the side. I don't have that ability. Evan, I, I know you play guitar as well. So you, you yeah, I play a few instruments. Brian, do you play anything? No, I uh, I can't play anything. I can't sing either. I mean, yeah. No for that. So yeah, no, no, no music ability here. <laughs> Glad we're there on the same link there, yeah. uh, right? <laughs> All right, assuming uh, pizza's got cheese on it, so it can't be that. But if you only had one topping to put on pizza, what would it be, uh, Jason? One <laughs> topping. I, I, I just I think pepperoni would be mine. I, it's a, it's an easy choice. I know. Um, I mean, I do love I, I love Hawaiian pizza. But if I get one choice, then I'm going to just do pepperoni. Yeah, I mean, I, I think for me, the choice would be pepperoni, but not to steal Jason's answer. So I'll, I'll go with a more controversial pick. Um, I, I like Hawaiian pizza. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go the pineapple on the pizza. I know I'm probably gonna get some flack for it. You are good. <laughs> that was actually one of our other questions: Does pineapple deserve to be on pizza? So both of you guys like Hawaiian. I guess that's a yes. Yes, it does. <laughs> well, since we're on the topic of food, what's your favorite kind of food? All right, I'll go first. Um, any food, really. <laughs> I, uh, my son and wife are usually finding me in the pantry um, digging through snacks. And, and I wish, you know, sometimes I need to quell my cravings, but um, favorite type of food, if I had to pick one type, I would probably go, you know, tacos. I just, I love Mexican food. I love Italian food, but I love Mexican food. So. Man, this one, this one's hard. Um, I, lo I, I like all kinds of food also. Um, really not too picky. 
the things I don't like, I, I, the one thing I am picky on, I don't like a lot of seafood, um, but I have a major sweet tooth and it doesn't matter the time of day. Uh, I can go for, you put candy in front of me, I will eat it. Uh, it doesn't matter what it is. I'm not picky Amen on to that. either. Um, so in order to uh, try to keep myself out of trouble on that stuff, I do like, um, you know, I like Mexican food too. Uh, I hate to, I hate to go with the same answer again, but I, I <laughs> we really, see why Jason hired you now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. just a lot. similarities here. Um, I would say though, I do like Mexican food as well. Enchiladas, definitely probably one of my top choices. If, uh, I mean, you know, ice cream would be number one, but oh yeah, besides that, you know, we'll go for. Uh, a healthier option there. <laughs> here's a here's a controversial um, question: Is a hot dog a sandwich? I've never thought of hot dogs as being sandwiches. I mean, I wouldn't. But again, it's bread, it's meat. I mean, that's what a sandwich is. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Um, but I don't know why we have to categorize it as a sandwich. I would. I think they're kind of by themselves hot dogs. I don't know. Um, right? I, by the way, there's. Uh, I, I guess I lied a second ago. I said I'm not that picky. There's one more food. I will, I will pass on, I will pass on the hot dogs. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I don't, I've never considered it to be a sandwich. It's kind of in its own category. I feel like, you know, it's a hot dog, uh, bread. I mean, yeah, it is tricky though. Cause I mean, again, yeah, you have your bread, you have your meat, uh, you know, mustard on a hot dog, I guess, whatever people like you have the top. I mean, I don't know. That's a good one. I'm gonna go with no though. It's not a, it's, it's not a sandwich. I agree. We're going to have to start keeping track of these answers. We have gotten yeses on this. Yeah. Um, so I have to keep track and see what the Carolina meteorologists actually think of hot dogs. Um, so coming back to the Asheville area and away from food, you guys have a favorite location uh, to go visit or hike, something like that in Western North Carolina? Gosh, so many. Um, convenience wise, we love the Arboretum. It's close to our house and um, we could just jump on there with the bikes and, and ride. It's pretty easy trails for the Hudson, my son. And um, that's a good go-to. Uh, just hopping on the Blue Ridge Parkway, that's also very convenient. Uh, we love the, we love going to Grandfather Mountain. Um, it's a little more out of the way, but uh, we love going up there. I, I love the, the uniqueness of the the rockscapes and uh, the swinging bridge and seeing uh, off to the east, you have this completely uh, drop off in the elevation and then you have your mountains around. So those are my two big places, but I, I, I could go almost anywhere, you know, and and really be really be happy as long as there's a trail or a hiking or biking trail and some vistas, I'm, I'm, I'm good to go. Yeah, and I'm still, I'm still new to the area here. Uh, I haven't had a lot of time to explore a whole lot, but I will say uh, the close, uh, close place for me uh, that I could go to any afternoon would be uh, DuPont State Forest. It gets kind of crowded this time of year, I've found. Uh, but, you know, a little bit of everything there. Uh, you get some elevation. You've got the waterfalls. Uh, so a lot to do there. Um, I've actually uh, spent a little bit of time in South Carolina here more recently. I found some cool places, cool pockets down there. Uh, so, you know, there's a short drive down there as well. Ryan, um you're from Denver. Uh, Evan and I, we went storm chasing. We was based out of Denver. We flew in and kind of went from there. So we took our, our last day, we took our trip into the Rockies and it was what, June the 3rd and it started snowing on us, Evan, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so what's your favorite place to go in the Rockies? Oh man. Uh, it depends on the time of the year. Um, you know, Rocky Mountain National Park, it's such a stereotypical answer. Um, that's a great place to go in the summertime. Uh, in the wintertime, I mean, I'll take any of the ski resorts. Uh, lo love skiing, so I I'll take any of them. 
any day in the wintertime. Uh, probably not Loveland. I would, I would say more of the uh, Copper Mountains, uh, maybe Keystones of the, uh, of the state. Uh, Steamboat Springs is another great place. But, uh, you know, even Denver, uh, man, I know I'm not narrowing this down very well. Um, <laughs> but Denver's great. Uh, love Denver as well. So I don't know. But, Amen. Yeah. <laughs> well, guys, I know we're nearing our uh, kind of end time. So I'm going to ask one more quick question and Scotty will close this. So the last one for me is going to be, you have a favorite weather disaster movie. It can be super cheesy. Well, Twister immediately comes to mind. I, uh, my wife loves Twister. My son loves Twister. Um, I love Twister. Uh, that would be the number one. But um, the day after tomorrow is good. My son loves weather disaster movies, of all things. Can you imagine? I mean, he's, he's the perfect child. <laughs> so he loves any kind of disaster movie related to weather. So I've seen all of them. Um, but, yeah, I, th- I still think Twister ranks at the top. Oh, it's, man, that's, that's a tough one. I don't watch a lot of movies. Uh, immediately, Day After Tomorrow came to mind for me. Uh, great movie. Uh, that's one that, I mean, you can stay involved in the entire movie. Yeah. Uh, no chance of, of uh, losing focus on that one. Um, but, yeah, I have, I have a short attention span, so not a lot of movies. Twister, you know, of course, is great. It's the all-time classic answer, but, yeah, I'll, I'll go with the Day After Tomorrow for sure. I think those have been our most popular answers um, when yeah. we've asked this question. Well, uh, gentlemen, uh, final question here. Uh, for those folks uh, maybe who are getting ready to leave high school or are in college and thinking about maybe changing their, their degree and they're interested in weather, what would be your advice to, to these folks? Uh, why should they choose meteorology uh, if it really interests them? And uh, Jason, I'll let you go first. Well, it's a, that's a diverse question, but here it, here it is. In a nutshell, meteorology offers so many opportunities besides what Ryan and I do every day. Broadcast meteorology is a small sample of overall the, the meteorological profession and the meteorology field. You could go into uh, research. You could work for NOAA. Um, you could work for the private sector. You could um, start your own company. Uh, there are many climate-driven um, sectors to go into as well. That's becoming more and more important and um, certainly more and more are leaning towards the environmental slash climate side of things too. It, it's just such a diverse area of study. It's great um, for somebody that loves science, uh, you know, and you got to stick with it. It's, it's challenging. I mean, many people don't understand how much math and physics goes into meteorology um, unless you've taken those courses. It is a very challenging profession and and study but i think it's i think it's wonderful so yeah just stick with it if you love science meteorology is one of the best fields to get into i mean i obviously i haven't been at it for very long i'm still uh you know pretty young myself but i would say the biggest thing is um you know there is a lot more work involved than i think that people realize it's uh something that is fascinating it's interesting there's a lot to look at and again tv is not the only thing in fact i would say if someone wants to go into meteorology just to be on TV, that's uh, maybe a bad idea um, because, you know, there's so much more to it than that. Um, A lot of math, a lot of science, but it is fun. And, you know, every day for us looks different. And uh, I'm going to, uh, I'll disagree and agree with the statement to a certain degree. You know, everyone always says you can be wrong and you still get paid. We're right most of the time. Um, But you know what, even if we miss a forecast, you know, it is true. We, we still get paid. So that, that part's kind of cool too. 
it would be challenging if they if they did uh, pay by the accuracy of the forecast. Some people, you never know, right? <laughs> Goodness, great! I can I can imagine now dealing with the Carolina wedge and at least the temperature forecast. That would be horrible if that was true. <laughs> it's, it's challenging. Minus minus a hundred dollars every degree you're out. Oh my goodness. Yeah, that, <laughs> That would be that would be brutal some days. Well, uh, well, guys, we're going to let you do your social uh, uh, info so folks can follow you if they're not already. Ryan, how can uh, our followers follow you on social media? Yeah, I'm on uh, Facebook and then Twitter. I should know what my handle is, but I don't. Um, But you can find me on there as well. And uh, I'm on Instagram and same thing. I really got to I got to figure this out. Uh, But I don't know (laughs) my handle is on there either. Not much help. Well, I'm Ryan, sure if you just your handle on Twitter, I'll, it's uh, Ryan underscore W L O S. So if y'all want to follow him, you can find it there. I think it's the same on Instagram. Uh, so there we go. All right. Well, Ryan, thank you. Jason, how can our folks follow you if they're not already? I believe, well, I'm on all three too Insta, Twitter, and Facebook. Um, I won't get into the uniqueness of each you know, demographic and socioeconomic thing. But the idea is that we are, I'm pretty simple. I think it's just at Jason Boyer, WLOS. We appreciate you guys joining us. And uh, for you guys who are watching, thank you for watching. Until next time, we hope you have a great evening.